Welcome to Restored for Life with Pastor Ben Harris, the senior pastor at Restored Community Church, where God's perfect word restores imperfect people. Here's today's message from Pastor Ben. From chapters 13 to 17, John uses the name Father 53 times, and he uses it in total in his gospel 122 times. The Father is the main character of the story. Jesus used this name often when talking about God the Father. That was a term that the Pharisees were unfamiliar with. And then, of course, he followed up with the Son, him being the Son, and a claim which would eventually ignite the Pharisees' anger and drive them to arrest him and crucify him. The Hebrew word for name, and I just learned this in the last week in my studies here, I find this fascinating. The Hebrew word for name also means nature. Oftentimes, the names given to various Bible characters reveals their nature. The name Abraham means father of many nations. And of course, Abraham would grow up to be the father of both the Jewish and Arab nations. The name Isaac means laughter, for he would bring great joy to Abraham and Sarah in their old age. The name of Jesus means God is salvation. And of course, God came in the flesh as a baby in order to save you and I from our sins. Jesus said in verse 6, I have manifested your name to the men you gave me. This means Jesus revealed. Manifest means to reveal or to make known the mystery. I like that one. It was a mystery. The Jew back then before Jesus, God was just this you know, person that was revered and respected and feared. And then Jesus went, he's more than that. Let me show you who he is. So he, he made known the mystery of the nature of his father to mankind. And of course, some listened and were saved and others rejected it and were lost. Four entitlements for believers. Entitlement one, we get to share eternal life with him. And number two, we get to know his true name And entitlement number three, the entitlement of having His holy word in our hands. Maybe you have a, hopefully you have a Bible in your hands right now. This is God's word that we get to hold. Verse 13 and 19, Jesus continues the prayer. But now I come to you, and these things I speak in the world, that they may have my joy fulfilled in themselves. I have given them, the disciples, your word, and the world has hated them because they are not of the world, just as I am not of the world. I do not pray that you should take them out of the world because that's God's plan, that we would infiltrate the world. He says, I'm not not asking you to, to pull them out of the world, but that you should keep them from the evil one. See, as I said before, they're about to go through the worst 24 hours in their life, way beyond what they can imagine is going to happen. And Jesus is saying, God, just be with them. Don't take them out of the world, but keep them from the evil one, for Satan is going to attack them like never before. Jesus, of course, said to Peter, Satan's asked for you, Peter. He wants to sift you like wheat. So Father, don't take them out of the world, but that you should keep them from the evil one. They are not of this world, just as I am not of the world. 
Sanctify them. Bring holiness to occur in them. Sanctify them by Your truth. Your Word is truth. So that we know that the Word of God, truth, His truth, brings our sanctification. As You sent Me into the world, I also have sent them into the world. And for their sakes, I sanctify Myself that they also may be sanctified by the truth. Through Jesus, we have God's Word to show us how to live holy lives. I have given them Your Word, He said. He asked God to sanctify them by His truth. Your Word is truth. Pilate, in just a few, in the next chapter, I believe, is going to begin to talk to Jesus. Actually, I think it's 19. Is going to begin to talk to Jesus. And Jesus says, I came to bring the truth. And Pilate says, what is truth? Truth is relative. I have a truth. You have a truth. Everybody out there has a truth. What is truth? Jesus said, I'm truth. I brought it down from my Father. He gave it to me. And I give it to all men. That's the way we know the truth. God gave the gift of His Word to Jesus, who in turn gave it to His disciples, who in turn gave it to the billions of others through their written testimonies down through the ages. Thousands of years later, you were reading the truth that was given to the disciples and they wrote it down by the guidance of the Holy Spirit. And yet, that's what we're reading today. We have God's written and spoken truth. God's Word is not just some letters compiled from ancient history that are curious to the human intellect. No, they're one of the most precious gifts ever provided to mankind. Listen, your Bible didn't come from the bookstore. Your Bible didn't come from Amazon. It came as a precious sacrifice written in the blood of our Savior and the blood of millions of martyrs down through the ages who risked it all so that you and I might sit here this morning to gaze upon the nature of God. A lot of people gave their life so that you could read the Bible. And if we're going to be counted as overcomers, then it will be because we've read, we've studied, we've memorized, we've wrestled with and obediently followed the Word that we have in our hands. It's the only way to become an overcomer. You want to get through this world as an overcomer, as a victorious person? It's going to be because of the Word of God in you. If you don't have the Word of God in you, you'll stumble around in the dark. And you need it to get through this world because it's getting increasingly dangerous for a, a, a Christian out there. Paul reveals one of the most important and powerful secrets in the New Testament our, through our Bibles. It's over in Ephesians chapter 6. He talks about the Word of God being the only offensive weapon that we have. Now, he, he talks about the armor. And I want to quote this to you. Ephesians 6, chapter 10. Finally, my brethren, be strong in the Lord and in the power of His might. That's a great way to start your day every morning. Before you get out of bed, pray that prayer. Don't try to live in your own power and strength, but just pray this prayer. God, Help me to live in Your strength, in Your power, in Your might as I go out and live for You today. 
Paul says, put on the whole armor of God. Don't put on just pieces of it. Any good soldier knows that you need the whole armor of God to go out onto the battlefield. Good soldier doesn't go, it's hot today, I'm not going to wear my breastplate. When the arrows start flying, you might wish you had it on. Put on the whole armor of God that you may be able to stand against the wiles of the devil. And the devil, that wily creature out there who's always shooting darts at us. For we do not wrestle against flesh and blood, but against principalities, against powers, against the rulers of the darkness of this age, against spiritual hosts of wickedness in the heavenly places. And I'm convinced that if we could just, if God just allowed us just, you know, a three second look behind the curtain into the spirit world, if you just had three, just, you know, looked in to see what's really going on all around us in the spirit world, we wouldn't leave a piece of armor off any day ever we would be so shocked at what's going on demons are real we've just been told that we don't fight with flesh and blood we fight with the demons with the spirit world and you got to have your whole armor on before you step one foot onto the battlefield therefore take up the whole armor of god that you may be able to withstand in the evil day and having done all to stand Stand therefore, having girded your waist with truth. Now Paul, as he's writing this, is chained to a a Roman soldier. He's awaiting to go to trial to see if they're going to kill him or they're going to let him go. And he's writing this letter to the Ephesians. And he's looking, quite possibly, at this soldier on the other end of the chain. And he has all these things on him. Stand therefore, having girded your waist with truth having put on the breastplate of righteousness, and having shod your feet with the preparation of the gospel of peace. Above all, taking the shield of faith with which you will be able to quench all the fiery darts of the wicked one. And take the helmet of salvation and the sword of the Spirit, which is the Word of God. That's the only offensive weapon that we have. All the others are defensive weapons and they're necessary for our health because we've just been told that we're getting shot at with fiery darts. You want to have all that equipment on, but you also want to have your sword. It's the only piece of offensive armor or weapon that we have. So how does this sword, God's Word, make us overcomers? I'm glad you asked that. So I've got an answer. Letter A, the sword brings us joy. Walking through this world, we can lose our joy in a heartbeat. There's things that are going to happen to each one of us. They're going to test our joy. Verse 13, but now, Jesus says, I come to you, Father, and these things I speak in the world that they may have my joy fulfilled in themselves. They're going to go through the worst 24 hours they'll ever know probably but i want them to have my joy as they go through this jesus said when you're faced with an important life decision use your sword when you're under attack by the enemy pull out your sword when you're dis- received some painful news pull out your sword of the word of god and begin to use it it will remind you of who you are and who you have on your side 
How does this sword of the Word make us overcomers? It helps bring us our joy. And B, it reminds us of His love. Because in the middle of the battle, you can forget that God loves you in the middle of it. The the enemy will remind you or tell you that. Verse 14, I have given them your word. Because God loves us, He gave us His word. And the world has hated them because they are not of the world, just as I am not of the world. This world hates the child of God. So God, because of His great love for us, gave us His Word, which are the promises He's given to each one of us. Don't forget in the dark what you learned in the light. Remember that. When you go through a trial, and you're going through hardship, and and you start to hear the enemy going, you're not going to make it. This is the end of you. You're not going to make it through this one. This is overwhelming. Give up. Remember what you learned in the light. Take it into the darkness. And God will go with you through every single trial. And let her see, it is the power for our holiness. It is the power for our holiness. We can't be holy by ourselves. We need God's Word an infusion of God's Word into our lives. And the Holy Spirit wants you to read the words. Why? Because He wants to teach you. He wants to guide you with it. He wants to give you all the promises that God has given you. He wants you to know them because we're going to need them in this world. I do not pray that you should take them out of the world, but that you should keep them from the evil one. They are not of the world, just as I am not of the world. Sanctify them by your truth. Your word is truth. Jesus is asking His Father to do the continuous work of outward sanctification and holiness. To become on the outside what we've already been made on the inside. When Christ redeemed us and we received His righteousness, we were completely washed of our sins at the moment that we did the glorious exchange that God gave us His righteousness. We were made completely holy inside and now our flesh just needs to catch up we struggle with it someone told me once i don't sin anymore really i've never met anyone that didn't sin anymore and and i sinned when i had the thought of kicking him in the shins to see how he would respond (laughs) looks like he just did you know but it's an outward process for what's already inwardly taken place. We're looking at four entitlements for believers. The entitlement first is eternal life. And then we get to know His true names. And then the entitlement of having His holy word in our hands is amazing. And here's the final entitlement. The entitlement of sharing His eternal glory. His eternal glory. He's going to share it with each one of us. Jesus now shifts the focus of His prayer from His disciples and onto those who will become believers throughout the ages. As I said, He can look through the corridors of history and see everyone that's going to follow Him. This is the big church. He saw the big church all the way through. He is looking down through the ages at all the souls. His sacrifice on the cross would save and he saw each one of us individually but he saw us united as one we've not done a good job of that 
While Christians belong to various fellowships, we are all united under God and His banner. And His desire is that we work together to expand the kingdom. We are more together than we are individually. And when we come together to do something in common, God will bless that and will multiply it. I think of the little boy's lunch of fish and loaves. You know, God goes, yes, yes. Now watch what I'm going to do with what you've given me to work with. And he just blew everybody's mind. Imagine churches coming together for a common cause and God going, this is what I had designed from the beginning. Yes, watch this. We got to see this down at the Harvest Crusade if you were there. We got to see a hundred churches come together, pull together, and then watched as people flooded in to hear the gospel, so much so the fire marshal got mad and threatened us. Shut the doors now. No one else can come in. But we had overflow, so that's okay. And we got to see over 1,700 people come down and make a first-time profession in Jesus Christ. That's what happens when the church becomes one. Listen if you can hear Jesus talk about this oneness. Verse 20. I do not pray for these alone, not for just these disciples, but also for those who will believe in me through their word. After all the ones throughout history, I pray for all of them. He's praying for you right now. He's praying for me. I do not pray for these alone, but also for those who will believe in me through their word and that they all may be one as you, Father, are in me and I in you that they also may be one in us, that the world may believe that you have sent me and the glory which you gave me, I have given them, that they may be one just as we are one, I in them and you in me, that they may be made perfect in one, that the world may know that you have sent me and have loved them as you have loved me. Now, you don't have to be a biblical scholar to understand that word one is really important. He really, really wants that to happen. He's praying that it will happen. We should not be surprised when the wolves come to attack God's sheep. When the enemy comes to attack, we should not be surprised. We should be surprised and we should be a little concerned when the sheep begin to fight each other. Look out. I can only imagine how it grieves the Spirit, how it grieves our Father, how it grieves Jesus Christ who died for the church, for one body of believers to see them turn on each other and start attacking one another. It's so disappointing when churches begin to be guided by who has the biggest campus, who has the most people, who has the best worship team, or who has the most likes on Facebook and Instagram should not be this way. It shouldn't. We ought not be that way because Christ died for one church, one body of believers. And while we have minor differences in theology, if we can agree on the essentials, then we need to be praying for other churches, praying for new church plants, helping the new church plants grow and practically helping them to get started in the towns and cities. I just attended a conference probably three months ago where I learned that if you could blink your eyes and bring the number of churches that are required to meet the needs here in the Treasure Valley, 
In an instant, we would need 72 churches to be planted and risen today. Now, that's not going to happen. And as more people come here, that number's probably gone to 80 by now because we don't have enough pastors planting churches and churches planting pastors who will plant churches. Right now, Restored Community Church is assisting three church plants. And Lord willing, we're just waiting. We're, just, and we're asking God, who's number four? Show them to us. Now, a pastor wanted to meet with us about six months ago. Him and I went to breakfast, and he, feels like, he says, I feel like God is calling me. I know God's calling me to plant a church over in Caldwell. And so we met, and I gave him everything I could give him. You know, I've got a big heart for church planners. I've been there. I know what that's like. I know the, <laughs> I know the prayers that it takes to do that. I know the faith that it takes to do that. I know the challenge that it takes to do that. And so anytime I can work with a church planner, I'm going to. I'm going to help him every way I can. And so we meet, we talk regularly, and he got planted in a little community center, and, uh, and that church is starting to take ground. In fact, it's a senior center. And so what is happening is he's beginning to reach seniors are coming in and, and uh, hearing the gospel. And people are coming from all over just walking in to attend the church. This is what we should not tearing each other apart, not pretending that the other church doesn't exist. No, praying for other churches that they might bring many to Christ as well. We need to be praying. Listen, we, we ought not be smear leaders. We ought to be cheerleaders. Because the devil's the smear. He's going to lead that camp. We don't have to ask him you know, to do that. We need to seek out cheerleaders who will encourage other churches, other pastors, other bodies of believers. We have an enemy. We don't need to be the enemy. We have a devil who, who prowls around like a roaring lion seeking whom he may devour. We don't need, need to participate with him in the attacks on believers. Our fight is not with each other. It's with him. And we need to protect each other's back in this world. It's becoming increasingly hostile as I speak. Verse 21, that they all may be one as you, Father, are in me and I in you, that they also may be one in us, that the world may believe that you sent me. When we become one, when we start acting like brothers and sisters, we don't look right to the world. You know him? Yeah. Why do you, why do, you do that for him? Well, he's my brother. I'm going to take care of my brother and sister. If my brother or sister needs something to eat, if I can help, I'm going, to, I'm going to give them something to eat. And the world goes, really? That's interesting. They'll just watch that go by and go, bummer for them. But as believers, we should be loving each other. And when the world sees that, we look odd to them, but we also look curious to them. And Jesus said, because of the way we treat each other, some may believe that you sent me, God, because of how they act towards each other. One God, one Son, one Spirit, one church, working together to spread the good news of the Gospel to a dying world, clinging to the hope by a thread. Jesus promised that the world would see us, the world that sees us love each other in spite of our nationality, in spite of our denomination, in spite of the color of our skin. Many in the world will believe that Jesus 
is the sent one from God and He will draw believers to Himself when we love like that. Jesus provides us another reason that we should all live in unity. One day, and I believe sooner rather than later, we who claim the name of Jesus are going to enjoy the same eternity together. Why don't we start enjoying God right now together? Verse 24, Father, I desire that they also whom You gave Me may be with Me where I am, that they may behold My glory which You have given Me. For You loved Me before the foundation of the world. O righteous Father, the world has not known You, but I have known You, and these have known that You sent Me. And I have declared to them your name and will declare it that the love with which you loved me may be in them and I in them. One day we will see Jesus face to face in all his glory for the first time. Because Jesus has prayed to his father that we should be where he is, I can tell you where you will be after you leave this life. If you have received the gift from Jesus Christ, made it yours. Jesus prays the prayer that they would be with me forevermore in a place called heaven and that they may see my glory forevermore. Have you made that decision? Do you know where you would go right now if this was your last moment? I don't want to be morbid. I just want to tell you the truth. The gift is available to you right now. It's been extended to you. Will you receive it? If you'll receive it, then you know where you're going after this life. You don't have to fear death because you know that after this life, you're going to experience eternity with Jesus Christ and our Father. Restored for Life is a radio ministry brought to you by Restored Community Church. Visit RestoredCommunityChurch.org to learn more about Pastor Ben Harris and for service times. Join Pastor Ben next time as we set out on a journey to discover the authentic life as Christ followers through obedience to His Word.